All right, good evening, everyone. If you would be making your way into the auditorium and finding a seat, it's time to begin our evening worship for today. Um, if you haven't been welcomed by anyone yet, um, I guess really shame on us, uh, but let me be the first then to welcome you here this evening. I'm glad that uh, you chose to be here with us uh, for worship time. Uh, as Toby mentioned at the end of his sermon last week, um, but he did put out a Facebook message this afternoon uh, reminding everybody about it. But as he mentioned, tonight is a very special evening. Um, it wasn't too long after uh, we got back from teen camp and the teen boys um, had given their, uh, I, I just call it the teen camp report. Um, it was their you know, beginning of August. It wasn't long after that that Toby asked if I would uh, organize another one of these um, a similar events, uh, having the teen boys lead the worship time. Um, so we put today's date on the calendar, and I have been praying diligently since that time that um, that at least a few of the boys would have returned by their Thanksgiving break in time uh, to be able to be here and to lead worship. Uh, and thankfully, most of them have. A couple uh, aren't quite here uh, on time, but that's okay. We've got everything covered. Uh, but either way, I'm excited uh, to have these guys leading worship tonight, and I know you will uh, be excited and, and blessed uh, as well through this. And what we're going to be doing. Um, for tonight's time of worship, I had decided um, that we would have, and I guess just kind of putting it simply, an evening in the Psalms. Um, you'll notice how each of our scripture readings uh, are taken from the Psalms. Um, but not only that, uh, but the songs that follow those readings, uh, in one way or another, they are taken from those particular psalms. So we'll read it, and then we'll have a couple of songs taken from it. <clears throat> and in addition to that, uh, we have three of our teen boys who will be delivering uh, to us some different devotional thoughts. Um, and basically, the, the one thing that I had given them to, to go off of um, was this simple prompt. My favorite psalm is... Blank, because. And that's it. Um, I, I like to give them a little bit of freedom. It's kind of like after teen camp. They, they know the theme, and they are just uh, talking based on what the Lord is laying upon their heart um, and what he is speaking to them. So I wanted them to have a little bit of freedom with this. My favorite psalm is blank, because. Um, I, I loved what Chris Davis, um, how he replied whenever I, I sent him that prompt. Uh, his response, he said, That'll be tough to choose, but I can do it. So do you remember that, Chris? Yeah. Um, tough to choose. I know it is. It's hard to narrow down a favorite psalm. There's probably tons of them um, that we could talk about. Uh, so like I said, I know that you will be uh, blessed uh, by uh, what these guys have prepared for us, what the, the Lord uh, has laid upon their hearts, um, just as I know the Lord will be glorified through everything that we do together uh, this evening. Uh, so we are going to start off with a couple of scripture readers uh, from Psalm 148. Tyler. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise, praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun, moon, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let him praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. 
Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, king of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, you young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendors above all the earth and the heavens, and he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. Let's all be standing together. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah, from the
the Lord. Ye hands adore him. Praise him, angels in the Please help us learn more about you through these emotional messages. We ask that you are with the members of the youth group leading us in worship tonight and that you are with the youth group as a whole. Help us to make good decisions and to be good examples to our peers. Please help us. Please help the sick, sad, and lonely be with the people who are traveling to get home safely. We are thankful for the many ways you bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening. My name is Brady Weathers, and I'm pleased to be speaking with you tonight. I first want to start, start off with just a common phrase that I'm sure all of you have heard, and that is that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I just kind of want you to think about what that means to you first. So as Mike said, um, the topic he told us to choose tonight was to choose our favorite psalm. And tonight I'm going to be talking about Psalm 139. Um, that, top, that phrase that I said before, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, comes straight out of one, Psalm 139. But unfortunately, it's one of the most misused scriptures that the world has twisted. You see it all over anti-abortion clinics. You see it for anti-alcohol. It's commonly used to argue predestination. And recently, it's been used for gay rights. Um, but with all the meanings that the world's thrown around, how do we really discern what is correct? And that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about tonight. So the key word in Psalm 39 is to know. And it's not only just how much God knows in his um, infinite understanding, but also what a, uh, what a soul knows about God. So there's three words that commonly God is referred to. And tonight I'm going to be talking about the, him being omniscience or all-knowing. So the first stanza reads this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. 
You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem, you hem in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to understand. What really stuck out about this to me is verse 6. That such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too, is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to understand. And instantly I was reminded of the story of Job. Now, I'm sure a lot of you know the story of Job, so I'm not going to uh, recap that. But something we miss at the very end is what I want to talk about. Toward the end, Job kind of cries out and he asks the question, you know, why me, God? Which is a common phrase that I think we often ask him. And God's response is really powerful. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While all the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Now the Lord continues to go on for about 126 verses. Just about all these things that he understands that Job just doesn't. It's too much for him to say. And in chapter 42, Job's response to the Lord is this. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. So twice we have now seen the response, the proper response that we should have to God's infinite knowledge and understanding. Um, so how many of you at some point in your life have ever played hide and seek? Just by a show of hands. Okay. So with the holiday season coming around, it, it reminds me of the times that we would go to Topeka and a while ago and we would put, our cousins would have a game. We'd always play hide-and-seek. This wasn't just any hide-and-seek. This is hide-and-seek in the pitch-black dark. Now, I'll, I'll, I'm the youngest, so of course that means that I hardly ever got to hide. I always had to seek. But, um, but I remember one time that my grandpa decided to play. He said, all right, he'll come find us. But I quickly learned that it is very hard to play a game of hide-and-seek with your grandpa. Because he always knows where you are. You cannot hide from your grandpa. There's just, there's nowhere really you can go that he doesn't know you're there. So as we continue on Psalm 139, verse 7, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, see, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Now, this may not be the best analogy, but maybe God is kind of like our eternal uh, grandfather. Well, he's our father, but in this situation for the hide-and-seek, he's our grandfather. Just the, You can never hide from his grace and mercy. Also, verse 11 says, If I say, surely the dark will hide me, and the light become, become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light as, is, is as light to you. And that just reminds me of when I played with my cousins, and it was always dark. But with God, there is no such thing as a dark game of hide-and-seek. So we continue on to verse 13. And it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. So there's that phrase that's often used in the world, often twisted around, fearfully and wonderfully made. But what is it actually saying? Now, if you've ever heard a lesson from Mike, he 
often likes to kind of nerd out on you, I guess you could say, with the Greek and Hebrew definitions and stuff. So I'm going to carry on that tradition. The actual Hebrew translation for this phrase, and I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, so Mike, don't get too mad, but it's um, nepleti. And actually, what it means is, I am fearfully set apart. So we are chosen by God to be a nation that is set apart from the rest of the world. First Peter, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but he said a holy nation. And holy also means to be set apart. And again, this, this uh, phrase in Psalm is often used to argue predestination or the fact that people say that maybe since everyone has their own destiny and, you, and God has, has that planned out and you can't really change that. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to argue that or really talk about that, but it's also one of my reasons it's my favorite Psalm, just because there's so many different ways people can take it but really, there's only one correct way. Um, but there's no arguing that this points to God's knowledge being so beyond our comprehension. So last year, during school, my Bible teacher had this uh, object lesson for us. He took out this tiny little green alien, and he said, I'm going to put this somewhere around the school campus, anywhere around the school campus. And if you find this and take it back to me, I'll give you $50, and then we'll talk about kind of what it means. So, of course, for about three days, everyone's looking for this tiny green alien. And then everyone kind of accepts that, okay, it's impossible. You're not going to find this little tiny thing. And at the end of the year, he took us out, dug in this bush, and, found, and took it out and said, this little alien represents your knowledge, and the campus represents God's knowledge. And how hard was it to find your knowledge in the midst of all of God's knowledge? Psalm 147 Verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. So his knowledge is infinite. So it wouldn't just be a school campus, but think of it as the entire universe. So if we skip down in Psalm 139 to verse 23 and 24, the end of it, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So I think this is really kind of the last thing that we need to do in order to accept and acknowledge God's infinite wisdom, is to ask for insight in our life. So I kind of broke it down in three simple steps um, to transition from you from relying on our own understanding to God's. The first, I said, is to accept that God's understanding is more than your own. There's the common phrase that you can't fix a problem unless you accept that there's a problem. And I think that really applies here. The second one I said is to respond and confess, just like Job did, where he said that, where he just confessed to the Lord that his ways are so above his own. And the third I said, as in verse 23, is to just ask for guidance in your life. So I want to end with a challenging question that I know is challenging to me. And it says, and I, is, is our faith in our own knowledge and understanding, or is it in God's?
Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his court and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is God is good and love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad.
Good evening. So, my name is Austin Campbell, and you're going to have to excuse me. I've been hit with a plague like two days ago. So, um, tonight, as Mike mentioned, the theme is our favorite song. And I didn't even sign up to do this, so you're welcome, Mike. Um, before he asked me to do this, I didn't actually have a favorite song, but I figured what better time to get one than now. So thanks to my sister Grace, my favorite psalm is now Psalm 121. Uh, I looked at a lot of psalms to do this, and I enjoyed this one because of the message it has about trusting God and remembering about what he can do. It shows how to fully pursue God throughout everything while letting him take control. So Psalm 121 is part of a group of psalms called the Songs of Ascent, which were sung each year by the Israelite people as they made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple. Uh, For most, this involved ascending the mountains surrounding Jerusalem. It was often a dangerous journey because of the physical dangers, as well as the threat of thieves and thugs taking advantage of the pilgrims. In Psalm 121, the author lays out his fear, and the journey is motivation to keep going. Psalm 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, now both and forever. So there are four points or challenges, rather, that I want to share with you tonight that you can take from this psalm. Number one, seek God in the scary hills. Much like the Israelites, we all face our fair share of scary hills as we follow God. In verse one, it says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? The psalmist was humble enough to know that he was not self-sufficient and that it was all he needed God's help on his journey. Uh, he, needed, he needed to remember, it's important to remember, that we need help in those difficult times and to call out to God. Secondly, remember God's power. As the author is honest about his fears and seeks God, he is reminded he created the hills and about his power. In verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We need to remember that no matter what we face, God is the creator of all and holds the power to deal with any of the challenges. Thirdly, trust God's promises. Throughout the Bible, God promises to watch over his children like a guardian doesn't mean that we will avoid any problems or pain, but that he is actively involved in guiding us. Psalm 121, verses 3 through 6. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade by night. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The psalmist took confidence in knowing that God was always actively guiding his steps. God protects us from both physical and spiritual dangers, and we can have confidence knowing that he never lets his guard down. Finally, believe the destination is worth it. The psalmist was motivated to keep going because he believed that the joy of connecting with God was worth the peril of the journey. Verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He watches over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Just as the Israelites went to the temple in the Old Testament because it was representing the presence of God, we should continue to pursue God's 
presence in our lives, knowing that and believing that no matter what happens, it is and always will be completely worth it. This psalm ultimately draws our eyes to the overall goal, and that is the perfect relationship with God in heaven for all eternity. So no matter what you are facing right now, whether it be a small hill or a tall mountain, don't give up on pursuing God. Commit yourself to seeking God continually, remembering his power, trusting his promises, and believing the truth of the Bible that the payoff is well worth it. Thank you. I love you, O Lord, my strength. My strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My, my God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. He is my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock, exalted be God, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies, who exalted me above my foes. From violent men you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. Everything in life has a deeper meaning. You've probably heard of the phrase, there's more than what meets the eye. Well, it's really true. In fact, this common phrase, which uh, explains the complexity of life, can really be likened to a simple onion. See, an onion from afar just looks like an ordinary spherical vegetable. Most of you might not think it tastes very good. But once you look at the onion up close, once you slice it open, you see that it actually has dozens of intricate layers. And for some reason, it makes you cry. Well, a lot of the time in life, we fail to slice open the metaphorical onions we come across. A lot of the time in life, we fail to look for the deeper meaning that's hidden all around us. To give you an example, just a few days ago, we all celebrated Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's great. It's, it's an amazing holiday. But have you ever taken the time to think, why do we celebrate Thanksgiving the way we do today? Well, I did some research on the first Thanksgiving ever. I found some pretty interesting information. First, at the very first Thanksgiving, it wasn't just a dinner. It actually lasted three days. Second, the first Thanksgiving wasn't really a family event uh, most records show that there weren't really any children or women at the meals. It was more of a political gathering with about 50 pilgrims and 90 Indians. And last, and most importantly, and probably quite shockingly, they didn't eat turkey. That's right. Records show that at the first Thanksgiving, they probably ate deer and fowl like ducks and geese. So why do we eat turkey at every Thanksgiving? There's always more than what meets the eye. Tonight, I don't just want to talk about the deeper meaning that can be found in the world around us. I want to talk about a much more important deeper meaning that's found in the Bible. See, the Bible has so much deeper meaning. And to a lot of people in the world, it's just a book. But we know it's so much more than that. The Bible is full of 
parables and stories and instructions and life. Yet with everything we know about the Bible, with how much the Bible means to us, there's so much that's in the Bible that no one in this room has even discovered yet. Tonight, we were supposed to do a Devo on our favorite psalm. And my whole life, my favorite psalm has been Psalms 1. But it wasn't until I started preparing for this Devo that I started to ask myself, why is Psalm 1 my favorite psalm? And what can be found in Psalm 1? What deeper meaning can I find that I haven't noticed before? And that's when I came across something called the chiasm. Now, a chiasm, it's found not just in the Psalms, but in the entire Bible. And a chiasm, or a chiastic structure, is a literary technique in narrative motifs and other textual passages. An example of chiastic structure would be two ideas, A and B, together with variants A prime and B prime, being presented as A, B, B prime, A prime. I know this sounds like really confusing, but pretty soon you'll see how chiasms can appear in the Psalms that we read every day. So I'm going to try to get this clicker to work. Can you advance the slide one? Perfect. So I'm going to be reading uh, Psalm 1, and as I read it, there's going to be a, a little summary of each verse on the screen. Hopefully it won't be too small. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so the first two verses are a contrast between the righteous and the wicked. If you can turn your Bibles to Psalm 1, the first verse goes like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And again, the last two verses are a contrast between the righteous and the wicked. So to show you the chiasm that's found in Psalm 1, all I'm going to do is add labels to each verse, A, B, C, and so on. Now, at first, you don't notice anything different. But all I'm going to do is shift over each section to the right. I'm moving in A, B, C to D, the central axis, and then back out C, B, and A. Now, if I put color on specific words, you don't have to read the whole thing. But what it really is, is the first half of Psalm 1 is a mirror, and it's reflecting over the central axis onto the second half of Psalm 1. Like, if you look in section B, it says, the righteous are like a tree. The next section B, the wicked are like chaff. It's a contrast. And my whole life, all I've gotten out of Psalm 1 was that it's about a contrast between the righteous and wicked. It's about what you need to do to be blessed in life. You need to meditate on the word and these things. And that is true. But maybe, maybe everything in this psalm is pointing to the end of verse 3. Whose leaf does not wither. And it made me think, what does that mean? Whose leaf does not wither. We know right now we find ourselves in, a, in an interesting time. We're approaching the season of winter. 
and it's going to get cold outside, and the colorful leaves that are on the trees around us, they're falling, and the trees are dying. And not just that, but Christmas is approaching, and and we're really busy getting presents for loved ones and planning vacations, and we're feeling stressed, and we're feeling tired, and maybe, maybe we're feeling like we're withering. But like this psalm says, that's not true for us. Because we, a blessed people, a righteous people, people who meditate on the word of God, people who find life in that, our leaf doesn't wither. And we can always find energy and refreshment and rejuvenation in the word of God and through the power of the Spirit. So tonight, before I continue, I want to show you one more thing that's kind of interesting in Psalm 1. You see how I've I've shifted all these verses over. But to show what shape, it it really has this kind of shape. And if we get rid of the words, this is the shape of Psalm 1, right? Remember how I said the first half of Psalm 1 is like a mirror reflecting onto the second half? Well, if we reflect this shape, this is the Greek letter chi. And that is why it's called a chiasm. Maybe I'm crazy, but to me this is interesting. That God tailored this structure into Psalm 1. It doesn't mean that just reading Psalm 1, you don't get all of the meaning. But there is a deeper meaning that can be found if you look a little closer. Tonight, if there's one takeaway I want you to take away from Psalm 1, it's this. As long as we're rooted in Christ, like the blessed man is rooted by streams of water, like he's a tree, as long as we're rooted in Christ, we will always be refreshed. And if there's one challenge I have for you, it's this. Look closer at the deeper meaning God has tailored into life. Dive deeper into God's word. You don't need a study Bible to see these things. You don't need a degree from seminary school. Any of us can find it if we simply have the heart to look for it. Have the courage to ask why we do what we do and why is God's word structured the way it is. And remember, there's always more than what meets the eye. Tonight, if you are lacking a deeper meaning in your life or feeling a a nagging emptiness, something that only Jesus can fill, we're here for you. And we're ready to help, whether that be prayers or baptism. So please, come forward as we stand and sing. How he loves me.
unable to uh, take the Lord's Supper this morning. It has been left prepared for you right across the foyer in the fireside room. You can be dismissed that way during this closing song. Um, and as we finish our evening in the Psalms, and, and first of all, thank you, gentlemen, for participating and for your words of encouragement, for your prayers, your scriptures, your songs. Um, I know I've been blessed by this, and I know that they have as well. Um, and I know that God has been glorified through this. Um, but as we finish this up, um, one last psalm for you uh, to consider as we head out into this new week. Um, psalm 89, verses 1 and 2. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Uh, so this, we'll sing our closing song, and then Tyler will come lead us uh, in a closing prayer. <clears throat> Faithful love flowing down from the Lord you we ask that you be with all of us as we go back out into the world and we ask that you keep your keep your spirit in our minds and we be we ask that you be with those who weren't able to attend worship tonight and with any problems they are going through help them and be with us help us have a good good rest of the week in Jesus name amen